You're listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast with me, Susan Romsdorf-Terry, and... Luke Romsdorf-Terry, where we read a book from the Cat Who Mystery series and discuss it. And on today's episode, we are talking about the 22nd book in the series, The Cat Who Robbed a Bank. 22nd. Yes. I've read 22 of these things. (laughs) And how many more are there left? Uh, Seven. We're in the home stretch here, folks. We are. We are. Wow. This... Amazing that's how quick it went by, almost, Mm -hmm. in a way. It is and it isn't. Like, how quick it went by, I mean, it's just interesting. (laughs) But, yeah, but no, it's a good thing. Now, this book was originally published when? 2000. This is our very first book of the new millennium. Oh, my. And (laughs) 2000, does it still feel like it was only a few years ago to you, dear? Yep. Yep. When, in fact, no. I mean, slightly, slightly more, because let's be honest and date ourselves. We were getting ready to graduate high school um around 2000 um so life is uh so that part of life is it feels a little bit longer ago but time is a flat circle yeah and so on uh wow mm-hmm. now was this one the similar where it was released paperback that uh, hardback then paperback or no this was released um the book was itself was released uh on a single uh on a single release rather than double um there is a secondary edition hmm. um but those are for things like the large print edition ah okay uh they are by this point they'd started to figure out that most people don't want hardcovers <laughs> of these books except for libraries so exactly. those are you know those are being released you can get them if you want them but for the most part it's all about the paperbacks all right then well, I think we should also give a usual preface of spoilers. Yep. So if you uh, want to read this 21-year-old book uh, <laughs> and not be spoiled, this is your chance to do so. We'll give you a moment. And welcome back. All right. Let's jump right in. All right. It is a fall to remember in our dear Moose County because we've got the grand opening of the historic new Pickax Hotel. Actually updated this time. Uh, <laughs> the uh, promise of the county's first Mark Twain Festival. The Highland Games and a mysterious jeweler has returned, bringing with him European-style elegance, fabulous jewels, and a not-at-all-suspicious cash-only policy. Could murder be far behind? Cash-only back now, again, before this is the 20th, if this is the 2000, cash-only mm-hmm. was still, like, I think nowadays it's much more suspicious if something's cash-only. The thing that will make it suspicious, as we'll get to um, a little bit later on, is the uh, is cash only for the amounts. Oh, it's um, you know, cash only for something that's fifty to a hundred dollars. Sure, cash only for something that's ten thousand gets uh-huh. a little bit more suspicious. Fair enough. Interesting. Or they could just write the check out to Chicago All Saints Hospital. <laughs> Speaking of Chicago, this is Chicago jeweler Delacamp, known oh. as known unaffectionately as Old Campo by Larry Landspeak and Old other loco Campo. wags. Um, <laughs> he is apparently making one of his pilgrimages to move to Moose County to buy and sell antique jewelry. According to uh, Larry and Carol Landspeak, he comes about every four to five years, meaning he must have come at some point in Quill's tenure in Moose County since he's now been here uh, pushing eight years. Uh, but if my math is correct. So he this yeah he would have he seen should him at least have once. he should have come at least once but nobody but it wasn't uh, 
it wasn't really mentioned. Uh, apparently, Qu either Quill didn't make an impression or uh, Campo didn't make an impression, but he's certainly making one now with <laughs> his formal dress policy, love of good tea and French perfume, and habit of sending roses to all of his customers. Larry and Carol are doing a brisk business in hats and custom-ordered perfumes, while the coffee shop men thank their financial gods that, the that their wives are not on the invite list. <laughs> so Polly is, however, on the invite list, since oh, Quill has gifted her with an opal necklace mm. a few years ago. Um, this necklace was ordered through Delicamp's firm, and Polly has also been asked to pour at this very exclusive afternoon tea. Um, it must be nice to have an insanely rich paramour. Um, fun little gossip side here. Apparently Susan Exbridge will also be pouring, which is a nice F you to her ex, whose new wife isn't even invited to the tea, and he is furious. <laughs> ah, small town snobbery. I love it. Oh, yes. <laughs> anyway, um, so Polly then breaks down for Quill how Delacamp's visits usually work. How she knows this, I'm really not totally sure, but since this is her first invite as far as I know. Uh, anyway, first there is the afternoon tea for potential customers, then home in-home visits for those wishing to sell heirloom pieces, and finally appointments in his hotel suite for those wishing to buy jewelry from his collection. Yes. Then back to Chicago for another four to five years. Buy jewelry in his, <laughs> in his private suite. This, yeah, this... This, this sounds normal. Totally. Um, Polly also attempts to quell the gossip that Delacamp's assistant is anything more than that, although said assistant is apparently always young, female, and supposedly related, which no one except maybe Polly actually believes. <laughs> Polly claims that he's training family members to take over the business. Yeah, sure. Fam yes, family members. Family. family in <laughs> very large quotation. In very large air quotation marks, yeah. yes. <laughs> In other happy news, we find that Celia Robinson and Pat O'Dell have gotten married. Oh, wonderful. And that Amanda Goodwinter is running for mayor. Oh. Now, the incumbent is has held this position for years because his mother was a Goodwinter, despite scandals with young women, constant affairs. But now he is being challenged by a full-blood Goodwinter. Um, so the, the, the incumbent is a, like, half Goodwinter then? The incumbent's mother was a Goodwinter. So his last name is Bly. 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 Versus... <laughs> Versus Amanda Goodwinter. It, Who do you it, argue with? It, it, was it the bounty going to make an appearance anyway? With, <laughs> Somewhere with Mr. in there. <laughs> um, now, considering that Amanda got uh, the signature, the required signatures from 5% of registered voters in less than eight hours. Wow. I would like to say that I think Amanda has a damn good chance of shaking things up here. And how big, the population of Moose County is not, like, it's a not population huge, 3,000. It's, it's not small. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's still a that's significant a, number of people of, to, to go and find within eight hours. In a working shift. Yep. That's, that's very impressive. It is. All right, so we're back to the new Pickaxe Hotel, which we remember was bombed, and the cat who said cheese is finally ready to reopen as the Macintosh Inn. Good choice <laughs> in the name change, considering the hotel's history. Um, Polly and Quill will attend the benefit preview of the hotel, but friend Brody gives Quill a private preview before the benefit. The highlight, a portrait of Quill's mother, painted by our favorite uh, portraitist, Paul Scumble, painted from <laughs> Quill's memories, as they Aww. describe it. Um, it's very moving for him. It's really lovely. That uh, is very nice. Some description, descriptions of how it happened. It's it's cute. Um, the rest of the hotel apparently no longer resembles a police booking desk with a restaurant that serves boiled vegetables and violent chicken Kiev, which once attacked Quill's then new suede blazer. It's now a warm, welcoming, and modern place to spend the night or a few days with a new restaurant, coffee shop, and a ballroom. Also, the coat of arms that Quill bought long, long ago from Mary Duckworth at the Blue Dragon down below is now featured in the hotel lobby. Mm. I would like to say I am impressed that Fran, that, that Fran Brody would actually want to touch this again after it broke her toes in the cat who sniffed glue. Oof. Well, 
She's committed. She is that. And she's not going to take a ch- she's not going to shy away from a challenge apparently. Absolutely not. Um we also meet the new hotel manager whose name is Barry Morgan, spelled with an H. Um M O R G H A N. H and I was going to say Barry with a H. B H A B H R R Y could be fine. Really sp- but in this case it's M O R G H A N. Who like Quill is from Chicago hmm. and he says great a lot. <laughs> Literally every other every, he something is said to him. His response is great. Anyway, since Celia moved out, Quill's carriage house apartment is now empty, and he offers it to the newcomer. Apparently, the late Daisy Mole from the Cat Who Played Post Office is now the resident spirit. Great, says Barry. And after a nightcap at the barn, he moves in the next day. Quill gives him some very small, solid small-town advice. Remember that everyone knows everyone. Play it safe by keeping your eyes and ears open and your mouth shut. <laughs> it is very good advice. Nope. If you have ever lived in a very small town. I went to college um, in a very small town, yes. Yes. Uh, it's kind of like being in the theater community. Everyone knows everybody else. Just accept that. And everyone talks. So if you think that something you're Loudly going to say... Loudly and at great volume. Oh, yes. Something you're going to say or do is not going to be heard. Oh, it's going to be heard. Oh, yes. By, if not six people, then 20. Yep. <laughs> so later, before the uh, preview of the hotel, Arch and Mildred meet at the barn. They all And they all head to the opening night gala. And we learn a very sweet secret about Mildred. Thanks to her turn of good fortune in the past few years, finding love and fulfillment with Arch and her work at the paper, Mildred has started dropping pennies for others to find so she can share a little of her good luck. She gifts Quill with a handmade wooden vessel, which he then uses to collect what he considers real lost pennies. (laughs) (coughs) And what is a... What what is a real lost penny then? In his definition, he defines a real lost penny as one that looks like it may have actually fallen on the ground and not been a uh, a shiny penny that may have fallen out of some that may have been clearly dropped. So a plant penny then. Yes. He's so an unplant. He he doesn't like the planted pennies. He wants to find real lost pennies. Um, at the so moving on, we go to the gala. Quill notes what he unkindly calls the Mothball Brigade, um, those older members of Moose County society whose finery often, in fact, smells of mothballs and is vintage at best, antique at worst. Um, Just a question for my customer wife before yes. we continue: Are mothballs still a thing yes. nowadays? They are. Yes, you can still get mothballs. Um, the uh, the aroma is still very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Uh, my grandmother had. A mothball, um, had mothball sachets in a couple of her closets. And I can still remember the smell when we had to get things cleaned out Mm. from her new home, from her home. I just always hear about mothballs, of course, in cartoons and Mm. comics. They mention in old movies, but it's just never been something that nowadays in the modern era, Mm -hmm. it would be something that you, I have not heard as often. So I was always curious. Well, the thing to remember is that we don't hold on to things as long as previous generations. Mm. Um, and we also don't wear things like furs in our daily life. Mm. So you would have mothball. And we also don't wear a lot of pure wool as much. No, so the not- biggest reason you would you would have mothballs, cu- customer tangent here, biggest reason <laughs> you would have mothballs is to protect your your good wool clothing from the from obviously the moths so you have two options then you either have you either put mothballs everywhere in your closet or you get a cedar lined closet or a cedar chest and that's where your wools are kept because cedar does the same thing as mothballs and much more attractively (laughs) fun fact if we go to my parents house i will have to point out that they actually have a cedar closet oh really yes oh well yes specifically for my grandmother's vintage furs 
which I knew that you they st- uh, still had some, since mm-hmm. I know that's one thing that <laughs> your mom has talked about giving to you at some point, <laughs> but not anytime soon. Not anytime soon. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, thank Sorry. you for thank you for indulging. Back to our anyway. regularly scheduled uh, debrief of the book. Exactly. Um, so it should be pointed out that this mothball brigade is likely Old Campo's main selling clientele. Uh-huh. These are the ones who are going to be in need of selling their vintage ju- their vintage and, heir- and heirloom jewelry to either continue their finance to continue to maintain their lifestyles or to finance something uh, something like you know grandchild going to college things like that. Well, I'm sure they also probably have some of the, the older pieces the, exactly. the oldest pieces as well be- mm-hmm. just because they're ages. Exactly. So this is a grand event, and the highlight is the reveal of the portrait of Quill's mother, painted again as we mentioned by Paul Scumble. And it's very moving. Polly cries, and Arch, who actually knew Anne McIntosh Quillerin, is spooked by the resemblance. Oh, wow. So that's how, that's how good Paul Scumble did. And, of course, Quill likes it, too. Of course. Quill is Quill is a huge fan. Okay. He, he was shocked. It was delightful. Um, we then meet Magdalene, Maggie Sprinkle, who owns the building across the street from the hotel. And she lives with her five cats. And I love her comment. She'd have more cats if she had more windows. So that way each cat can have their each own window. Each cat has their own window. Um, they are her ladies. It's lovely. Um, sprinkle. Sprinkle. We also learn what a torsade is. A torsade, by the way, is a necklace of twisted strands. Maggie's is made from diamonds and pearls. There's lots more talk about Delicant's tea, thanks to the Landspeaks who actually sponsored the visit, and Quill's nosiness is working overtime. He is determined to crash this tea in some form or another. Sadly, the servers are always young women in French maid outfits, so they, they, they first knock that out of the way. Oh, God. Um, but Carol and Larry realize that they can costume Quill as a security guard from the theater's costume shop and sneak him in that way. <laughs> Larry, having done his share of these pranks, is all for it. Carol, however, has actually attended the tea and knows what it entails and is gleeful about Quill's boredom when he has to actually suffer through this, in the na- all in the name of his professional curiosity. <laughs> Mustaches are twitching. Gotta scratch that itch. Exactly. And sometimes it's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Before the tea, there's an art showing at the Art Center. Thornton Haggis, again, that wonderful, wonderful name, has a new skill he's he used to be a stone cutter now his new skill is wood turning hmm. um i i will say that reading this the first thing that i think of is be careful we've already had one wood turner end up dead r.i.p uh, oh, buck yes. dunfield from the cat who played brahms yes yes, yes so that's right. hopefully thornton is breaking the curse with that one quill buys uh, a large a large turned vessel um mildred actually gave him the small one uh and displays it on the coffee table with pride so lovely Thornton has a new hobby. Quill has a new piece of art. It's fabulous. So the next morning, he is off to the theater to be fitted for his uniform, and then it's off to the tea. <laughs> 20 minutes in, Quill has snickered at Delacamp's attire, caftan and heavy gold chains, gotten a headache from different perfumes, and started playing mental games to keep himself occupied for the next hour and a half, uh, eventually deciding to write a quill pen on hat, inspired by the elaborate millinery on display. After the tea, he's chatting with Larry, and Quill learns that the store doesn't actually earn anything from these visits except for goodwill and slightly better service when they special order jewelry in between times. Hmm. Which is an odd thing to really feel um, that it's it's worth it, but Larry says that it's good public relations regardless, and it does help the Mothball Brigade. Larry politely, more politely refers to them as the old guard. The old um, guard. Because these visits help them unload the heirlooms that they're not wearing anymore mm-hmm. and they can't use. Um like you said, stuff that they may need to sell for exactly. lifestyle choices or for a family member. But, mm-hmm. yeah. And then Larry changes the subject and we find out what the theater club's next play is. Ooh. Night Must Fall. 
which is a thriller involving an older woman uh, obsessed with her jewelry case and a charming young man after her money who turns out to be insane. Um, this part was written by the playwright for himself, as I learned. <laughs> Naturally, Quill assumes that Derek Cuddlebrink will be playing the role, but Derek, it turns out, is working nights managing the Macintosh room at the hotel, which is the name of their new fancy hotel, fancy oh, restaurant. Um, but this does make Quill a little bit nervous since Derek's pre- previous managerial gigs ended in scandal and sand. <laughs> sand. We're hoping for better with the Macintosh in. Hate sand. It's coarse. Gets everywhere. <laughs> so then Quill goes and checks in with Polly after the tea, and she laughs at him for his professional nosiness, leading him <laughs> absolutely nowhere this time. Um, as requested at the tea, she was looking over the jewelry for, to choose something for her birthday, and she selects a vintage cameo ring with the three graces. Hmm. Seen from Greek mythology um, and a, a steal at only $800. Quill, we learned, then has an, an irrational dislike of cameos and is skeptical of the cash-only policy, but goes to the bank and makes the withdrawal. Um, I will be posting some pictures on the blog of what this ring could potentially look like. Mm. Uh, Mo- and Molly. Polly describes it as some of the cameo carvings being so fine that you can count the leaves on the trees. Oh, really? And that is that was really, really popular in the Victorian era. With, the, with those cameos, especially with travelers who would come back from Italy, that's where they were really popular. Hmm. Now, this is $800. It may, <laughs> I was going to say in 1980s money, but that's not the case either. But this is $800, you know, 20 years ago. That was... Yeah, we're still looking at at least $1,500 now. Right. I mean, it's still a lot of money now, but it was worth yeah. a decent amount more back then. Exactly. 21 years ago. Mm-hmm. Now, up until this point, this has been, a, this has been the most human-heavy book in the entire series. So we have there the cats have not been mentioned. We're this far in. We're this far in. The right. cats There's have not, not been, been a mentioned. single mention. Well, so we, not the cats. We've mentioned of course Sparkle and the ladies. Sprinkle. Sprinkle Sprinkle. That's not any better. Sprinkle. Uh, oh, Sprinkle. Yes. Not Sprinkle. No. There, there's an E in there. Oh. Okay. That's a little bit <laughs> I honestly I was just swear making to, the urge that you'd know that if you'd read this. I swear to God, no, I, I'm, I'm skimming through it quickly. I re, I have read it. Your your summary. She puts together a very elaborate summary every single one of these recordings. And yes, I do read it, but my mind, I saw that, and it just instantly went to sprinkle. <laughs> All right, fair enough. All right. Anyway, Quill attempts to write his latest column, and we and we get a check in with Coco, who yells that someone is coming. Ooh. Uh, he's early enough that Quill almost heads back upstairs until Celia Robinson car Celia Robinson's car appears, causing Quill to apologize for doubting him. Uh, after after accepting a a brief visit, Quill then walks to Lois's luncheonette for pie and a chat with Lois and Lenny, who is now captain of the desk clerks at the inn, and <laughs> will be running in the foot races in the local Highland Games the coming weekend. Another desk clerk, Bose short for bozo is a form <laughs> that's the how the way they describe nope. it I, I anyway um bose is a former football star that lenny used to quote unquote manage and bose will be tossing the caber at the games and that's the giant tree chunk that has to you toss and it goes end over end blah 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 um quill then tries to get dirt on delacamp staying at the hotel but lenny wasn't on duty when he checked in um he is however on duty when delacamp supposedly mousy neath niece Mousy niece. Mousy, mousy. That's a tongue twister. That's a, that's a he is on duty when Delacamp supposedly mousy niece comes down in short skirts and false eyelashes to talk about rock bands. Lenny's not interested. He prefers country western, so it ties. And all I can say to this is clearly something is not as it appears. No, very much so. Nosy so, niece. That I'm sorry. We're gonna have to remember that one for a tongue twister for warm ups later. That's a good one. Mousy niece. Mousy niece. Mousy niece. Mousy niece. Mousy niece. 
Okay, fine. Anyway, um, <laughs> next Show on Quillen's <laughs> next on Quill and Polly's social agenda is dinner with the land speaks with guest of honor being Delacamp himself. Mm. Um, we get a journal entry from Quill about the event. Delacamp gets points in my book for being a tea drinker over coffee, but his in but he is absolutely encyclopedic in his knowledge and spends the entire dinner lecturing about. Um, flowery orange pico, tippy orange pico, finest tippy orange pico. I wish I was making this shit up. Um, they're all different types of tea. So and that is, is apparently his dinner conversation. This is what Quill had to endure, endure. thinking that he was going to scoop something yes. massive. Um, so I know more about tea now, but I don't want to have dinner <laughs> with the guy. Um, then he and his niece leave and uh, Carol and Carol pours coffee for everybody else. They laugh at his pretension and they admire Carol's new powder room, which features her collection of vintage perfume bottles. Mm. Later that night, Quill is woken from a dream by a howling cocoa. It's not identified at the time with Quill not being completely awake, but it's his death howl. Uh-oh. A call from Bart the next morning confirmed... A, 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 call, um, a call from Bart, remember, Bart is the attorney. Yes. Um, the next morning confirms that Delicate passed away in his sleep. But once the coroner arrives, things turn bad. It looks like murder, and Delicate's niece is missing. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, no news is being reported except that Delicate is dead, so Quill starts snooping. Polly is flummoxed, Carol is flabbergasted, and Larry doesn't know yet because he's on a plane to Minneapolis for a merchandising show. Um, apparently, Larry had a theory that a jealous husband would be the one to do Delacamp in, so he'll be disappointed to be wrong. Jealous of boredom? <laughs> when apparently, if you don't if you don't flirt with your wife, you know you can you can consider it a uh, someone suspicious if they pay them pay them the least a bit of attention, even though obviously they're there to get your money. Go figure. Uh, Anyway, All right, then. Moving on. Um, so Carol is, of course, our organizer, and she's concerned about those who had appointments with Delacamp to sell. And she starts trying to figure out how to get a hold of his schedule so she can call and let them know, which good for her. Um, cool then heads home, and uh, to distract him, he starts reading the script of Night Must Fall to the cats. As he reaches the, sp- the scene where, spoiler alert, the houseboy is how it's described there. It's He's not a houseboy. It's... It, it, he's he's the fiance of the niece, um, but he's called the houseboy in this version. Um, the houseboy then smothers the wealthy old lady with a pillow and steals her jewels. Hmm. Double spoiler alert. Oh, well, all right. Because as he's reading this, Coco starts yowling. Ooh. Coco's done being subtle and combined with Quill's twitching mustache. This suggests <laughs> that Delacamp's death may, may be more literary in nature. And I'm starting to wonder if Lillian Jackson Braun actually researched what plays had this particular death scene just so she could use it. I want to read this play now. <laughs> it's actually a great play. I, I I managed to find it online. It's really interesting. Mm. It's it's a lot of fun. It's a good it's a good good mystery. No, good mystery. Uh, thrillers are mm-hmm. some of the best theater you can see, just because it's the audience having that shared experience of mm-hmm. being on the edge of your seat, trying to figure it out, and then the jumps and the scares yes. and. Everything else. So we're going to have to... And the young man going crazy at the very end. It's very well done. Um, (laughs) So after that, Quill heads off to meet Maggie Sprankle and her ladies. The five adopted cats... I'm not going to forget it now. (laughs) The five adopted cats, all named after famous women. Maggie is old money, all caps with that. Um, (laughs) She also has eccentric taste in decorating. Polly describes it as violently Victorian. 
Uh, that was my favorite punk band from the 80s. <laughs> and it turns out that her husband's grandfather actually entertained Mark Twain on his tour through the county. So oh. she's very excited about this potential Mark Twain festival. Right. Um, she does serve tea in cups with finger trap handles, as Quill calls them. But at least she makes it up for it by having really good chocolate brownies. <laughs> And she also has a great story of her great-grandmother, Big Bridget, who ran the Big B Mine, one of the ten uh, mines that used, that supported Moose County in the uh, in the mining boom. Mm-hmm. So Big Bridget, uh, who is, as described, a very large woman, um, stood up to the other mine owners when they tried to scare her out of business and after they likely killed her husband. She turns the tables on them by barging into the local saloon with a loaded shotgun and threatens their lives. Oh, wow. Strangely enough, they gave her no trouble after that. (laughs) Um, I can see why. Yeah, me too. She convinced them. Yep. Yay, Big Bridget. It's a great story. Um, After the story, Maggie shares something a little bit odd. She She was sitting up with one of the cats who wasn't feeling well. And she shares that she saw lights in Delacamp's hotel room, which is, of course, across the just across the street from where she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was around the time of death. Quill encourages her to report that to the police just in case. Right. Um, across the street, then Roger finds uh, Quill finds Roger reporting on the story for the something, and Roger is able to tell Quill that the niece is gone. Her clothing and personal items are still in the room. The rental car is still in the parking lot, and the jewel cases are still in the hotel safe. Hmm. But the coroner has confirmed time and cause of death. Suffocation, possibly with a bed pillow, between 2 and 3 a.m. Double spoiler alert, indeed. Indeed. Hmm. The next day, Quill heads off to the Highland Games with Wannell McWannell, our favorite CPA. <laughs> yes, Wannell. Um, so, Quill and Wannell are going to watch, <laughs> as they call it, the heavy games. And then Quill will go back the next day with Polly to watch the dancing and the piping and all of the, mm-hmm. the lighter stuff. So they watch a sheep herding demonstration from the Ogilvies and their border collie Duncan. They cheer for Lenny in, in, in Lenny Inchpot in the foot races, although he never comes in better than third. And finally, they get to watch Moose toss the caber. <laughs> it's a perfect caber toss, winning the day for pickaxe. Um, and he gets a fake gold medal, and Quill goes home to have drinks with Arch Mildred and Polly before going to the inn for dinner. Mm. Um, this is a big. This dinner is a big deal because the new chef, known as Chef Wingo, um, has a new cuisine menu. With five small courtiers, and to Arch's enjoyment, no music hmm. in the dining room. They enjoy dinner, but Quill stopped by Derek on the way out because apparently there was an incident between Delacamp and Chef Wingo when Delacamp tried to tell Wingo how to brew his tea, and Wingo chased him out of the kitchen with a frying pan. Um, <laughs> fortunately, Barry knows about the incident, has already reported it, um, and as Barry pointed out to uh, to Delacamp, uh, the uh, health codes forbid uh, forbid guests from entering the kitchen. So well. There you go. So the good news is Derek and the rest of the kitchen staff are all off the hook. But Quill (laughs) is in for a surprise when he returns to the barn with uh, Arch and Mildred and Polly. Coco and Yum Yum have covered the main floor in paper towels. As Coco doesn't do anything without a reason, Quill wonders what he's trying to tell him. Mm Mm-hmm. Think about this one. You'll get it in a minute. Um, the next day, Quill <laughs> takes Polly back to the Highland Games to the piping and the dancing competitions, and she reports that she has a new neighbor, a rare book dealer from Boston. She also mentions Carol Lansby called to say that two of her vintage perfume bottles are missing from the display in her powder room, and the only person aside from Carol and Polly to use the room that night was Della Camp's niece. Hmm. Now, side note here, the timing is odd on this accusation because Polly... And we, the reader, don't hear anything about the powder room until after their dinner when the niece is already gone. 
I suppose it's still possible for her to have stolen them and Carol not noticed since she wasn't looking at the collection after Polly used the room. And since Polly has never seen the collection, she wouldn't notice if any were missing. But it's still a very odd accusation. Hmm. A little bit of a gap there. Um, after the games, and after the games, Paul, Quill and Polly head home. And sad news is reported that since Delacamp's death took place in the newly renamed Mark Twain Suite, that festival oh, is going to have no. to be postponed. No. To avoid the negative connotations. Aww. Not the end of the world. We'll get it in another book. Later, Quill heads back to the inn to have dinner in the coffee shop and stops to chat with Lenny about the games. Lenny reports that Bose is thrilled about his gold medal and gives us a better sense of this big but not bright man. Aww. Who has been asking Lenny lots of questions lately, like, how much is a million dollars? And... Where's Brazil? Oh, Lenny well. immediately attempts a Charlie's aunt joke, which when, is... Where the nuts come from? Exactly. I'm Charlie's aunt from Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> this totally goes over Bose's head. Um, <laughs> but Bose was on duty when the murder happened. And Lenny tells Quill that what Bose told the police is that he heard the elevator go up around 2.30 and come down around 3. Now, since the bars close at 2, he assumed it was somebody coming up for a nightcap and then leaving. Half hour nightcap? Eh, well... Well, you know, last call, I guess. Uh, who knows? Yeah. Still, though, very odd. I was going to say, usually when someone comes up for a nightcap that late, they either stay for a couple of hours or stay the rest of the night. Oh, and they come up for a nightcap and they leave after breakfast. Precisely. <laughs> Half an hour is a little short for that. Anyway, when Quill gets home, he gets a call from Larry Landspeak with more Delacamp gossip. Because apparently Delacamp was once known as Campo and has a partner or had a partner named Fado, but they changed their names to Delacamp and Fido. Why? I <laughs> do not Fido. know. And then Fido accused Delacamp of embezzling from the company, but Delacamp countersued for libel, won a sizable settlement. I just, I have to say, my favorite thing in this, one of my favorite things in this summary is when you say Delacamp and Fido, there's parentheses and then three question marks. <laughs> so I can just imagine that that speech bubble in your head when you were... Because apparently <laughs> Delacamp and Fido are easier to pronounce than Campo and Fado. Okay, anyway. Um, anyway, sorry. Embez sizable settlement, countersued. And that's... And, 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 and Fido, you know, wandered off into obscurity. Um, then Brody stops by for a drink and adds more gossip to the, to the fire. Oh. Our, our good friend Bose here, our, mm -hmm. our gold medal winner, is a foundling. A foundling? Meaning he was abandoned and found in a shack near Chipmunk. And Brody's the one who found him. And then, then he became a Mandalorian. Exactly. Despite that, uh, thanks to Lois Inch Inchpot's bossing slash mothering, he actually managed to finish high school, get a job at the foresting company, until he came to work at the inn and started attending classes at MCCC. And then, talk about burying the lead, Bertie mentions that they can't get into the jewel cases that are that are locked in the safe at the hotel, and they're going to have to fly up an expert from down below. And not only is the niece, who was registered as Pamela North, still missing, all the towels are missing from the suite. Uh -huh. And Coco starts yowling again. Been about the, okay. I, I don't think he's trying to point out the towel thieves. Um, Brody is... I'm George Decay, damn it. Yes. Brody thinks that the niece is the brains of the operation, noting that the States Bureau has noticed a pattern in her M.O. Um, Quill then dis dismisses this because she was meek as milk when he met her at the Landspeaks. Meek as milk. Yes. And then he, then he remembers that she used to come down to the desk to flirt with Lenny. So which is the real Pamela North? And... Boy, Quill, you are an easy, easy mark if someone pretending to be meek under, around her uncle uh, is, is enough to fool you that she couldn't possibly be the brains of a jewel thief operation. Oh, not at all. 
Um, Coco has some more hints that make things a little bit interesting. He wants Quill to read Oedipus Rex. Oh, God, no. But Quill de- declines, claiming oh. it's too violent for their tender ears and reads a Mark Twain story in Ted. Um, <laughs> so Coco starts stealing pennies from one of the wood vessels on the coffee table. Hey, that heads um, I, With this great confusion, Quill then heads off to the library to say hello to Polly, get an update on the new bookmobile that will be unveiled soon. Um, apparently, it was originally painted white. The citizens complained that it looked like a milk truck, so now it's been sent to new, for a new pot paint job. And then we head over to the something office and run into a new character, Sig Dutcher, who is the local <laughs> agricultural agent. This name. Quill and Sig head to the coffee shop for lunch, and Sig reveals some interesting news. His daughter was working as a housekeeper at the inn, and she's the one who found Delacamp's body. Oh. After finding the main the door to the main room still chained shut. She had to go in through the second room where the niece was staying before finding Delacamp with a pillow over his face in the main room. I think we're starting to get a pretty obvious clue of what might have happened. Yeah, here. it's starting to be played out. Yeah. But there's no time to think about this because it is Homer Tibbetts' 98th birthday. Yay, Homer! Yes, so Quill heads out to Itty Bitty Wassie Estates to wish him well <laughs> and chat with his, with him and his wife, Rhoda, who is, of course, as we mentioned, 10 years his mm-hmm. junior. Um, Homer talks about his childhood bank book and Rhoda cuts a silhouette of Quill, a lost art, frankly, and she encourages him to frame the piece and give it to Polly. Silhouetting is a lo- very lost yes. art. Yes. I remember that there um, there actually were some silhouettes, again, in my grandmother's house mm-hmm. um, of my mother and my cousin that were hung up in the hallway. They're really be- they were really beautiful. Well, and there's silhouettes in your dad's office. I've seen mm-hmm. one of him cut out. So, yeah, it's, it is a lost art, and it's a very unique one as well, too. So It is. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he comes back, we're back at the barn, and we meet Celia's new assistant in her catering business, whose name is Nora. Nora is there dropping off more meals for Quill and the cats. Mm -hmm. And Nora, it turns out, used to work for Maggie Sprinkle when her husband was alive. And Nora has recently learned to read thanks to Cecilia's tutoring. How wonderful. It is. Oh, Cecilia. Quill then goes to our favorite shop on Stable Row, (laughs) Sip and Nibble, Mm -hmm. to lay in supplies for a cocktail party that he's throwing for Barry. Um, We get an all-too-brief check-in with Moose County's only tacitly acknowledged gay couple, Jack Nipple and Joe Sip... Nipple... I swear. She knew what she was doing when she wrote that. When she wrote those names. Well, no, she didn't because this is the problem. Um, so we have Jack Nipple and Joe Sip. Although there is some confusion about this names because they were Jerry Sip and Jack Nipple and the cat who said cheese. Nipple. Nipple. Oh, God. But anyway, we can't remember We can't remember what Sip's first name is. But Nipple and Sip are, uh, are back. They're lovely. Um, and they report to Quillerin that apparently Delacamp came into their shop looking for rum and left annoyed because they only handle wine, which is so much for his claim that he only drank tea, mm-hmm. which was apparently a big thing. <laughs> Not really important to the story, but it, it gave us a chance to have our scene with Sip and Nibble. So. <laughs> Who need to make more appearances, I, I feel. Really, they do. Do they come again in the I, next thing books? I don't remember, honestly. We, we will find out if we, we're going to We will add... keep track of any visits with Sip and Nibble. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. We, we, we still lost Odd Bunsen. We got to get our kick somewhere. <laughs> What, Sig Dutcher doesn't do it for you? Sig, no, Sig Dutcher's good, but I'm sni- Sip and, and Thornton Nibble. And Thornton Haggis. I'm anyway. sorry, but Sip and Nibble and the only gay couple in town. I <laughs> mean, that's, that's begging for a spinoff. It really is. Okay, so back to the main story. <laughs> we get a call from Lenny, who calls Quill in a panic because 
Bose never showed up for work the night before. Lenny drove around all the bars until they closed, called his rooming house, no sign of him. Looks bad, since Lenny is the one who recommended Bose for the desk job, and he thinks that he, Lenny, is jinxed. And based on his track record, I can understand mm-hmm. this. Considering that the original hotel do- job bombed out, he lo- losing him his fiancé and his job in one fell swoop, his interim job at Indian Village goes sour when he's framed for theft, and now he's lost an employee he recommended, and to be fair, this is the mildest loss of the lot. <laughs> but it still sucks. It's still. Lenny's, yeah, it's not a good, not a good batting average. So Quill tells him to calm down, get a hold of himself and if Bose doesn't show up that next night he should file a missing persons report then we have the cocktail party at the barn (laughs) which is to quote Barry great (laughs) he is presented with a photo of the original hotel staff and pledges to get a companion photo taken with the new smiling staff which is really kind of adorable Um, we get a look at Amanda Goodwinter's mayoral campaign poster courtesy of our favorite PR man Dwight Silmers (laughs) Uh, of course, he's doing her publicity. Of course. And he shows, in contrast to the incumbent's professional studio shot of a handsome, overly overly groomed man, Amanda has an unflattering caricature. And the slogan, we'd rather have Amanda. <laughs> Barry pledges to vote for her then and there, which I totally understand. Um, then the whole crew heads off to the old stone mill for dinner. Looks like Barry and Hixie may be hitting it off. Apparently, mm. she and Dwight are still attending things together, but it's not serious. Who knows? Um, after dinner, Quill finds Brazil Nuts. And pennies all over his rug. Hmm. And several photos in the Highland Games have been ruined by Coco's licking, which all, of course, feature bows. Coco is trying to get a message through. Very clearly. Very hard. Very clearly. Um, where the nuts come from. Anyway, and then there is yet another phone call because it's Lenny calling from the all-night gas station with big news. So Quill tells him to come to the barn. Bose didn't report for work, so Lenny calls the manager, goes to his car to go home, only to find Bose waiting for him in his truck in the parking lot. Hmm. Bose tells him to get in. They head off, with Lenny thinking they'll head for a bar and chipmunk. Bose is still wearing his clothes from the games and looks like he's been sleeping in the woods, which is apparently somewhat normal, but Lenny starts to get nervous when they pull off the main road and park under some trees with the lights off. This, yeah, that, that yeah. Is, that's a bit nerve- nerve-wracking. Especially coming from a large, very competent man who you get the feeling could make you disappear without too much trouble. Mm-hmm. So it turns out he didn't show up for work because he has a new job as a bodyguard. Who needs a bodyguard around here? And then he'll be heading for Rio, ah, Brazil, Brazil, as soon as she, quote unquote, sends him a ticket. She is nice and likes Bose, so he, quote unquote, took care of the old guy for her. Oh. And she told him not to tell anyone that he was dying anyway and it would be kind to help him. Lenny is understandably completely and utterly horrified holds it together until he gets Bose to drive him back to his car at which point he calls Quill and Quill sends him to bed calls Bart immediately gets him to the barns and sweats first thing in the morning to hear the story as soon as Larry Lenny wakes up now with Bart's help Lenny is once again sent to his aunt in Duluth so that he's out of the way while they try and deal with this crime um I would like to say with all of this revelation there's still 100 pages till the end of the book um and Coco is still requesting Oedipus Rex every chance he gets and Quill doesn't have the wherewithal to play Oedipus Tex. No. And, and, and make the connection. And exactly. Howdy, friends. <laughs> when the moon... You, you may need to add that in or cut that out. I, I, I will probably... What, add it in? Yes, add it in. Oh, no. Oh, Oedipus Tex is delightful um, by PDQ Bach. Um, it's, it, it is a very delightful piece, and it was actually one of the first things that you shared with me when we were first dating. It's true. And I remember listening to it and then just laughing hysterically with him singing Precisely. so i think i'll i think i'll tack that on to the uh show notes anyway it's fun all yes. right so moving back to the story in these last hundred pages while we're trying to figure out what the oedipus Still rex connection is yeah, no good lord and all this and, and basically the reveal is there um <laughs> 
So next, unfortunately, we have the loss of a pickaxe Snyder legend. Snyder cut of this book. Yeah. Osmond Hasselrich has finally passed on after surviving his wife, his mm. daughter, two brothers, and as describing himself as the last of the best Galdern country lawyers you'd ever meet. Mm. He was one of a kind. Mm-hmm. And he left Quill a file marked Klingenshawn Correspondence, which is letters between Quill's mother and Aunt Fanny. Oh. These are things that we've never heard before. It's oh, wow. very illuminating and disappointing at the same time. Quill learns things that he never knew about his family, such as um, that his grandfather works w- worked in insurance in Iowa. His father was an actor who met his mother in Chicago, where she worked at the public library. They married against her parents' wishes, and they dis- and his grandparents disowned his mother. Eventually, his father turned suicidal when he lost uh, several jobs, couldn't get a job as an actor, and eventually tried to rob a bank to support the family and died in the attempt. Mm. After this, Quill burns the letters. After Quill burns the letters, claiming the past is dead. It's a little overdramatic, yeah, but t- it's not like you were really expecting sunshine and roses. Quill, you were raised by a single mother no, in a situation where she did not talk about your father for a very good reason. Yeah. So tone it down, Leo. It's okay. We can chill. So this is now followed by news of a sheriff's deputy, Deputy Greenleaf, of course, our first female deputy, being attacked by bows in the woods. Oh, no. Still wearing his Highland Games t-shirt. And at this point, Deputy Greenleaf is fine, should be mentioned. Good, good, Um, good, good. But now Bose is full-on fugitive from justice. And the next day, Bose hijacks the brand new bookmobile on its inaugural drive. Oh, jeez. Doesn't get far. He dumps the bookmobile in, the, <laughs> bookmobile in a ravine to escape on foot. See, Why lo- he bothered to steal it, I have no idea. I, I would love to see that car chase, though. Yes. With the bookmobile. I know. <laughs> All right, so while we're waiting for news of Bose's apprehension, Celia arranges for her assistant, Nora, to speak with Quill about a story that really happened in ugly gardens of all places. There were pseudo-finger quotes when you said really happened, I just yes. have to say. <laughs> so, Ugly Gardens, by the way, is named for its founder, Oliver Ugly. Um, <laughs> and in this story... <laughs> now, it's not spelled... The ugly is spelled with an E. Yes, U-G-L-E-Y. Um, so anyway, in Nora's story, there was a farm girl named Betsy who moved to the big city of Pickaxe to get a job in a hotel. There, a man told her she was pretty, and eventually she was fired from be- for being pregnant. She had a child, a boy, who was born in a shack near Chipmunk, and she had to abandon him. But he was found by a local policeman. He grew up playing football, worked at the same hotel she had, and recently won the Highland Games oh, for throwing the caber. Oh. Clearly, Nora is Bose's mother. She's been following him all her life after her abandonment of her. And then she reveals the kicker. The son has killed his own father. Uh Hence all of the damn Oedipus references from Coco. (laughs) Quill assures Betsy that her son will have the best lawyers in the county if they can find him. Next safe series at. Yeah. (laughs) So after this, Quill goes to dinner in Indian Village with Arch, Mildred, and Polly again. And we meet Polly's new neighbor, who is a rare book dealer known as Kurtwell Nightingale. (laughs) He claims to have grown up in Moose County, but no one remembers him. Suspicions aside right now, it's a nice evening, but Quill is planning on moving back to the village a little early this year just to keep an eye on things. And then Quill returns to the barn. He sees a figure in the shadows, which turns out to be Lenny, who has snuck back up from Duluth because he's worried that some trigger-happy vigilante will end up shooting Bose. He convinces Quill that he might be able to convince Bose to give himself up, and despite Quill's misgivings, they drive out to Chipmunk Road near the Big B Mine in search of Bose. Wow. 
I did not think about how hard that sentence was going to be for you to say. Well, and you said it all in one fell swoop. Yes. So I, I applaud you, my love. Anyway, so at the shaft house of the Big B mine, they follow a trail of candy and gum wrappers to what appears to be Bose's campsite. Lenny tries to talk Bose down, but it doesn't work. Bose oh, shoots no, himself no. because, okay, I, I this is not actually explained in the book, but... Bose has finally figured out that he that she is not going to be calling him to go to Rio. Mm. He's never going to get the call. She used him to escape with the jewels and the money and everything else. And now, apparently, he is despondent. He shoots himself, falls to his death into the subterranean lake under the Big B shaft house. Quill and Lenny call emergency services, and Quill deposits a very shocked Lenny at his mother's. Mm. Lois then spearheads a funeral for Bose while the police continue to look for Pamela North, who is, of course, the one tr- who tricked him into killing Delacamp, his own father, which mm. we found out later. Mm-hmm. Um, acor- this is all according to Lenny. Coco is still leaving fang marks in the Brazil nuts and scattering pennies when he finds them. Brody visits briefly, shares that they have finally cracked the jewel cases in the safe, and they're empty. Uh. Because it's finally announced on WPKX that Pamela North was arrested with the jewels, which she smuggled out in the hotel towels, Uh trying to board a plane for Rio de Janeiro. Mm. And it turns out that her real name is Harriet Penny. Uh, Coco is uh, officially right on all counts. Smothered with the pillow, towels, Brazil, Penny, done. The curtain falls and Coco enjoys some cashews. Or something. (laughs) It is in theory that he likes the Brazil nuts because because they're oily. Makes sense. Um, which they are. But they are. there is somebody who asks, well, why doesn't he like the cashews? Obviously, because they aren't a plot point. <laughs> oh, boy. Because clearly, yes, that's a thing. <laughs> In this world, wow. yes. So that was a little bit of a roller coaster. That it um, was. Yeah, that was. And there's some interesting commentary that comes along with this book. Now, in a previous book... Quill has stated that he didn't bother dressing up for his dates with Polly because she didn't care about clothes, while he dressed well for women who did care about their clothes. In this book, it should be mentioned that they both comment about how they dress well to uh, to be, uh, they dress well for their dates with each other now because Quill considers it a compliment they, play, they pay each other. Ah, how times have changed. That's so much nicer when you can actually not be coy with each other and, or, just, you know, and just be honest. Don't be a jerk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There is a mention of a French perfume by the name of Le Bleu, which is the Blue Hour, which Quill later gifts Polly with in it because, of course, fit of jealousy over the new neighbor. Mm-hmm. This perfume is a very famous Guerlain perfume from 1912. They are still producing this today. Oh, wow. Um, and there's an interesting moment where Polly is quite petty about her clan tartan. <laughs> Apparently, she prefers to wear the Robertson tartan, a red base, as opposed to the Duncan tartan, which is mostly green, and enjoys telling people far more than they ever want to know about the connection between the two clans. And I think she could honest, she could just be honest and say she didn't want to look Christmassy next to Quill's bright red Macintosh tartan if she were green. It's totally fine. You, you can... really, you don't have to tell people about you being a Duncan by marriage and how that was connected, uh, how that was the leader of the Robertson clan. No one cares. <laughs> Um, I have mentioned Gustav Stickley before. We get to see the reveal of the hotel's new design, which is primarily inspired by his work in the American Arts and Crafts Movement. Mm. And I'll include some more images of his work on the blog so you can see how delightful it is. It's really lovely. Um, And I now remember, for random things to know, this is the book where I learned that diamonds replaced colored gems in the 19th century due to better lighting in public places. So they actually had a sparkle on them. 
an extra well, inch when time. when the light could act, when the light could reflect, when there was more light, more light reflected. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, you wanted something with color that that would look more impressive. Sure, which is why if you happen to have watched the Bridgerton series on Netflix, you may have noticed that a lot of the jewels were cabochons, which are the rounder, flat. Uh, jewels rather than the faceted jewels for for um for for flash and shine what we would think of as crown jewels yes yeah in this case the cabochons would have been more popular because they would have had richer color than a faceted jewel (laughs) anyway there is let's see here um there is a coffee mug that quill has apparently with a quote as he brews, so shall he drink. And apparently, he likes to offer a dollar to anyone who could identify the quote. Unsurprisingly, Polly is the only one to collect. Now, should you be asked in the future, it is from Ben Johnson's play, Every Man in His Humor, Act 2, Scene 1, and yes, I am that theater nerd. <laughs> Aside from that, there's a great moment um, where Quill wanders into Exbridge and Cobb to see a collection of mechanical banks, which belong to Maggie Sprinkle's late husband. Uh, and he purchases the metal bank of a Scotsman who takes a coin and puts it in his pocket. Um, he then takes Kilty, as this little bank is known to everyone he knows on Main Street, and goes home $2 richer <laughs> because he made them put in dimes. Oh, jeez. Uh, Junior, Junior Goodwinter calls it robbery pickaxe style where the bank robs you. <laughs> this preclu- in, my con- in my country, uh, bank robs you. This precludes a whole big scene of Quill manning a telephone, um, a, a, a telephone call-in for... Maggie Sprinkle's husband had all these banks, and so they're doing a telephone auction. Hmm, okay. And Quill mans the phone for a couple of hours. Why this was important to include, I do not Maybe understand. Maybe did you just throw that in there? Why not? It was in there. Again, like I said, there was a hundred pages between where we got the reveal that Pamela was the was the killer, mm-hmm. indirectly, um, and the end of the book. Very ridiculous. Hmm. Um, oh, we get a fun story from Dwight Somers at Quill's cocktail party. When Dwight first came to Pickaxe, he stayed at the New Pickaxe Hotel for a couple of weeks in room 209. Every day, he, t- he would take a towel and the towel rod would crash to the floor. Every day he reported it. Every day it was fixed. When the hotel was bombed, <laughs> Fran Brody reported that the, despite extensive damage to the rest of the hotel room, the towel rod in 209 was still firmly on the wall. <laughs> As a thank you for this great story, Barry offers him a weekend in the new 209 without charge. No charge. I think that's hysterical. <laughs> All right. Now, what's the uh, now, what one thing? There's more missing from this. I'm noticing, uh, and just click this. There's not much cats will be cats. There's really not a lot of cats because there's not a lot of cats in this one. It's so, not. So yeah. there was almost no point because all of the good moments were Coco demanding to be read Oedipus Rex, um, the towel <laughs> art that they did with the paper towels, uh, gnawing and on the cashews, gnawing and, on, on, the, on the Brazil nuts and stealing the pennies, and licking the photos too. Yes. But those are all not necessarily cat things. Those are cocoa things. Right. Where it's all very much in service of uh, of the story solving the and, and solving the crime. So then with that, uh, speaking of cats then, as a roundabout way, what's your paw rating for this one? 2.5, again. 2.5? I'm... Hmm. It's a little I, generous. I would see, yeah, it seems generous to me that you would give it that much with how much meandering it does and the fact that once we get to the is, reveal, there's still a hundred so much left. The thing is that the mystery at the heart of this, I think is a good mystery. Mm-hmm. It's just lost under all of this Moose County mismatch. Delicant <laughs> is a great character that gets very little face time, and it's only thanks to Bose's connection with Lenny that we care about Bose at all. Um, but at least there's that connection, which is better than what than what she did in The Cat Who Sang for the Birds, where we had no connection with poor Phoebe whatsoever, right. other than, you know, sad and tragic. Right. Um, there's just so many 
side quests, for lack of a better term, that while I know in some cases these side quests are important, she's laying uh, groundwork for some later books, they just aren't well integrated into the story. Mm. Some are just unnecessary. As I said, the scene about the phone auction of the late Mr. Sprinkle's collection of mechanical banks. Um, the, quil- the scene with Quill and Kilty, um, robbery pickaxe style, all that was needed. And as for the mystery, as I mentioned, the reveals are really spread out. It's taking almost the entire final 100 pages to actually be fully solved, as opposed to our usual method of just kind of dumping information <laughs> into the last 20 pages. So this opposition feels very odd, and I'm starting to wonder if at this point she's starting to either get bored or she's starting to have someone help with these books. Which hmm. neither neither would be wrong. Neither no. would be... Uh, neither would be wrong or neither would be bad. It's just a matter of, you know, she's always been so private. There's really no information about how she did these books. What, um, yeah, what her writing what her process, process was or anything like that. Hmm. I also have to say that the niece almost getting away with her crimes while Bose kills himself feels really depressing and frankly out of character for Lillian Jackson Braun. I mean, he doesn't even get a tearful reunion with his mother first. Mm-hmm. And I really have to say that this is a sign of less organized books to come. Oh, boy. It's, we've, we've kind of had the last of the really great ones. The ones from this point on are going to be meandering, are going to be more built into this world of pickaxe sure. that, we, that we know and love. So we're going to get to spend a lot of time with people that we, that we like, but... Going forward, I if the mystery is not going to be as not gonna satisfying. Be the it's gotcha. not going to be. It's not going to be as well done. Mm. Well, and I think with having done as many of these books, yes. and with there's maybe, like you said, getting bored or running out of ideas or wanting to just spend more time with the people of Moose County as opposed to having Quill solve a mystery with the cats. Yeah, um, and you know, an interesting thing that could have been is in the next book. Um, you know, the murders, uh, to, to give a mild spoiler, the murders are less interesting than the, uh, the, than the hidden small town crime hmm. that we'll have revealed. Interesting. Um, the murders are just an afterthought. Sure. So it makes me wonder if, you know, really, do you need the murders in these particular cases or is it more fun to see somebody get arrested? <laughs> an interesting thought. Um, I'll post that question on the blog again once this gets, once this goes up. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Is it more interesting um, to have a uh, to have more white or blue collar crime that doesn't involve murder? Interesting. I think that is a very interesting is a good question to pose, especially as we are now kind of at the you know we're at the twilight of the series exactly, and so heading into now where there's not necessarily a need. It's not necessarily wanting to do shock and awe. It's just, like you say, it becomes less of a priority to solve the murder. Mm-hmm. And it's more uncovering the history. Or like you said, someone seeing karma come and get them at the end with being yes. arrested or whatnot. Exactly. So, yeah. That'll be, I'll be very curious to see how that all plays out with the last few books we have in the series. Exactly. Well then, thank you for so much for listening to The Cat Who Did a Podcast. And join us next time for The Cat Who Smelled a Rat. Oh, sorry. Side thing. Yes. Um, one final thought. There's no bank that got robbed. What? No bank that got robbed. Unless you consider the, the bank of the jewelry uh, of the jewelry company. So maybe so, it should have been the cat who heisted the jewels uh, yeah. or something. Or the cat who... The cat burglar. Or the cat, the cat, the cat who, who burgled. The cat, I don't know. The cat who burgled. Or so the, yeah. The other, the other thing to keep in mind um, when I say these last couple of books are very disorganized. 
we lose the cuteness of having the the title pop up. The ding 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 moment. Yeah. So less ding ding ding. Oh, less ding ding ding, and that's it. So sad. anyway, once again, <laughs> thank you for listening to the Cat Who Did a Podcast. Join us next time for the Cat Who Smelled a Rat. I'm Susan Ramsdorf Terry, and I'm Luke Ramsdorf Terry. And until next time, happy sleuthing and stay nosy, my friends. Oh,